All right, listeners, quiz time. The vast majority of collegiate athletes, do you think either A, were unisport specialists or played their single sport, or B, played multiple sports within high school? Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Dan and Paul, and we have a new guest joining us today, Brett Fisher. This is our first podcast of 2020. It's actually been quite some time since we've podcasted together. Um, the, our last couple of released podcasts were uh, my journey and Jen's journey, and um, over time we will get Paul and Brett's journey. Um, some of you may be wondering, well, who's this Brett Fisher person that is joining us? Uh, effective January 1st, 2020, Spooner Physical Therapy and the Fisher Institute of Physical Therapy and Performance teamed up with, and we are honored and blessed to have brought on an exceptional group of therapists to our company um, and joining our, our family of therapists. Uh, Brett Fisher is the owner, former owner of Fisher Institute, has uh, been around in professional sports for basically his entire career, brings a wealth of experience and expertise, and we are more than excited to have Brett a part of our team. So, Brett, why don't you just take a little bit and let our listeners get a little bit of insight on your background, and then we'll get into our topic today. Dan, Paul, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a real honor to work with you guys every day, as well as uh, being a part of the Spooner Physical Therapy team, which has done such a great job here in the Valley for over 30 years now, and developing programs and being uh, movement specialists in Phoenix. And that's, that's why we joined with you guys because you guys are the experts in movement and movement analysis and treatment. And it's been a great marriage and it's been a great thing. And I'm excited the future, what's going to bring us as far as bringing sports medicine to a higher level than it's ever have for the youth here in Phoenix. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. But I've been blessed. Uh, I'm a physical therapist, an athletic trainer, and a strength coach. Um, had the opportunity of working in college football with the University of Florida, doing baseball with Florida International University, and then spending summers with the New York Jets and then going on to working the PGA Tour, Chicago Cubs, um, and then uh, being able to be a part of the Arizona Cardinals for the last uh, 12 years. It'll be on my 13th year as a physical therapy consultant as well as running the Fisher Institute for the last 22 years. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to bring to the nation and to internationally for sports medicine, uh, rehabilitation, and sports performance with the Spooner Company. Brett, we're thrilled to have you. Um, excited to participate in this this journey with you and learn from you. Um, so as we were kind of preparing for this first podcast of 2020, and we were discussing different topics, can you just give us a little insight on on why sports specialization was the thing that you're most excited to talk about right away? Dan, I think when you asked me that question, I answered it within a second because it's a, it's a sore subject with me. It's a passionate subject with me. Um, I spent some time with Changing the Game on their podcast as well. And just it's being a physical therapist now since 1987, I've seen a huge trend occur in sports in which we're seeing athletes come in to uh, the facility for treatment with injuries I've never seen before till maybe late in their career in their late 20s and 30s. And to see them now in 12-year-olds and 15-year-olds, it was shocking to me. And to see these young people um, at the malls when they're a senior in high school and they can't play anymore because they had too many injuries or they're just flat out burnt out, it was really, really heart- disheartening to me. And being on the front line, I, I just feel like I need to do something. And I'm so glad that you 
have allowed me to speak, and I'm looking forward to you guys saying too, is what can we do as physical therapists to help change this, to help make this not happen anymore? Because it's an epidemic. It's epidemic across this nation um, and and other nations as well, but especially here in the United States. And we're actually in a a warm climate in Arizona here, California, Texas. um, You'll see it in Florida as well. They have similar problems, and it's 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 uh, it's staggering the statistics we'll throw out today of what is going on with our youth, mentally and physically, and really the true story behind them on who makes it to higher levels of activity, and what is the best way to take your child, what is the best way to talk to your patient when they're with you and they're 13 years old, and you can talk to them, but also talking to their parents, what are you going to say to them? So I think for us, it's, it'd be fun to kind of educate what's really the truth out there. Yeah, so I, I, I think this is something that previously in our overhead throwing athletes with Dylan and Josh, we had discussed a little bit about uh, the prevalence of, of sports specialization and we talked a little bit about it, but we didn't really dive deep. And, you know, as Paul alluded to in our introduction, you know, kind of listen bait was what does the literature show right now as far as what sports or what athletes are making it to the collegiate level, whether they specialize or multi-sport. Um, so let's first talk about what sports we think and what sports really make sense for athletes to start to specialize at a younger age. Um, and you know, USA Today and their high school sports section back in February 2018, they actually they, they looked at this very topic and they wrote a fairly decent, you know publication it's not an article or it's not it's not research backed i guess it's just stat backed that gymnasts soccer players and tennis players mostly specialize by the age of of 12 to help them get to the division one level so i'm curious to see what you guys think about those three sports and what's unique to those three sports that would allow and and require them to specialize at a younger age when it's interesting when you say it and require becomes a, a, a challenging term for this because there is a lot of pressure to perform. There is a lot of pressure, particularly in some of those sports where let's just take tennis, for example. It's something I'm very familiar with. I mean, there are tournaments going year round. You can go darn near anywhere across America and play in, you know, sanctioned tournaments that help with your ranking. And quite honestly, the vast majority of D1 college coaches, their recruiting is based off that. What is your ranking? There is actual benefit and behoovel to you, whether it be scholarship and the quality of play and the quality of program you go to on playing and obviously performing well in a great number of tournaments. And for anyone that's played any sport that requires a significant amount of hand-eye coordination, you all understand the challenge of being away from that sport for a while and getting back into it. I know for myself, whenever I played tennis, if I took even a couple weeks off, when I went back, the court seemed smaller and the ball seemed a lot faster. It didn't take long to get there, but it did take some time. So especially as a kid, it was challenging. I'd be like, I got to stay on top of this. I got to keep, if I can slack at all, I can't perform at that highest level. Yeah, I think it's interesting. That article also kind of talked about that when you start to specialize at a younger age, you usually have a higher degree of quality of a coach. And I'm curious to think, you know, in my experience, and I didn't make it to division one level, but I played the division two level, like looking back, some of the coaches that I trained with were really good, but they weren't the top coaches in the country. So how much does the coaching aspect and the access to quality coaching also have an impact on that success level? 
obviously it's going to have a big impact, but I mean, truthfully, there's going to be innate talent. There's the work, there's the desire, there's the drive. But I think it just comes back down to the pressure that you get from almost any coach that coaches want you to specialize. Coaches want you to be a part of that team. And it's becoming more and more, just like as Brett alluded to, uh, almost required. There's uh, every sport has, whether it's a club team or a traveling team or even a high school team that's not officially sanctioned to that point because the coaches can't be with you, but they've got someone else that leads the team to go play in offseason tournaments. And to play, you're just expected to be a part of it. It just kind of seems to be the general norm. But it goes back to when I said, you know, what's required? Is that required for success? Well, I mean, we could go on forever about how hard it is to actually become a uh, Division One athlete, let alone a professional athlete. But required takes on an interesting term because if if you really truly have that talent, then what's going to give you the greatest longevity of your career and the health? And that's where things start to become really interesting statistic-wise. So, you know, Dan, you throw out a couple of sports that have the specialization at the age of 12. There was a, a study in the American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2017, I believe. Yeah, so just a couple of years back. And they looked at NBA players between 2008-2015. And the vast majority of those first-round draft picks in the NBA were single-sport athletes in high school. So of the 230, what do I have, 237 first-round picks they looked at between those uh, years, 201 of them played a single sport. So only 36 were multi-sport athletes. Here's an interesting thing. Those 36 all had significantly longer careers, less instance of catastrophic injury, and less instance of injury overall, consistently. So looking at things when we look at sport, yes, there's tons of pressure to play, but then playing is fine. Like Brett said, if you can't play past your senior year of high school, is that really what you need? What's going to give you a long career, particularly for those that really have the talent and the ability to play at those elite levels? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because conversely, in major league or in in the NFL in 2018, according to trackingfootball.com, 88% of the players in entirety of the draft were multi-sport high school athletes. So it's just interesting that that in one professional sport of basketball, you see sports specialization, and then in another professional sport of football, you see multi-sport athletes. So Fish, I'm curious to see, you know, in, in your tenure with, with the Cardinals, like, could you think back to the individuals that you've worked with who have had those kind of major injuries and how many of them were multi-sport athletes and what those those really were? You know, in football, it's just a hard thing because so many of the injuries are occurring, maybe traumatic injuries that no matter what happens, even if you didn't play multiple sports or single sports, it's going to happen no matter what happened. But you know, something just a small, small sample size. Uh, yesterday, Maria Sharapova retired from tennis at a relatively young age. Uh, she was a client of mine. She played tennis when she's a little girl. Her dad brought her over to uh, Florida with Vic and started that. I also had the opportunity of working with Roger Federer. Now, Roger was a soccer player. Right. And he always told me that gave him a huge advantage. And, and Roger actually is going through his first minor surgery now for a scope on his knee. For the most part, he's been relatively healthy his whole career. And he played multiple sports. He still to this day plays soccer and he hits the ball and does a lot of soccer drills as part of his training when I was with him. So I, th- I thought it was interesting, you know, with Maria, she probably hit a lot more balls than uh, Roger ever did. But, you know, unfortunately her career is shorter and she's had a lot of injuries over the last few years because of that. So, you know, I, I just see it over and over, even with the elite ones when they, like, they get there, like, like Paul said, are they staying there? So let's go to a point that you kind of talked about of, okay, our role as a therapist and 
where do we where do we have the opportunity to start to make a difference with that youth athlete that's in our facility, um, whether they are injured or they are seeking some sort of um, avoidance of more significant injury? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to recognize the elephant in the room, and that's the pressure the parents are under to have their kids in full-time sports year-round. And it's a huge pressure. And if you're not having your kid in there, you're the outcast. What are you doing? There's a lot of pressure. And the parents are trying to do the best they can. They love their kids. They don't want their kids to be hurt. They don't want to see them wind up you know, at the Fisher Institute or have surgery. No, no offense with for, for rehab, but they don't want that. And, they, and they're good-meaning people, and they're trying to make the right decisions. But this new phenomenon is destroying our kids. And even like LittleLeague.com came out last week with an article about children who specialize in baseball and softball specifically for this um, before the age of 12 have a 79% higher injury rate than multi-sport children. And that's significant. And they go on to say for the solution, if you want to have the best 10-year-old baseball and softball player, then specialize is the path you want to go. But if you want to have the best chance of those children still playing in high school and beyond, then do not have them specialize. So at getting down, what I'm trying to say is that as physical therapists, we do need to educate our patients like we always do, no matter what it is. And a lot of times these youth, their education is them as well as the parent who's with them. And I think that's the grassroots we need to start and let them have the opportunity to understand some of the things we're going to talk about today and empower our therapists to kind of put that information out. And honestly, for me, a lot of times the parents are almost relieved I'm telling them that because innately they're going, something's not right here. They have pressure, financial pressure, time pressure, all these different pressures to put their kids in year-round sports, uh, constantly playing in games versus taking time off. And I, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of professional athletes here. And we have jerseys up. And I, I tell I want you to look at all the jerseys. And they go, yeah, I go, every one of them played multiple sports and everyone made it. Okay, so it's important for them to understand that they want to go to that level. They need an off season mentally and physically. And I asked them, when was your last off time? They go, well, we had off for 10 days for Christmas the whole year. (laughs) I go, I give my my I give my adults at least two months off after the season. And it's just it's just crazy. And, um, you know, the second thing in this article, which was great, they interviewed this British Olympic coach, Ian Yates. And he said, many parents want me to train their 12-year-old like I train my Olympians. What they never ask me to do is have their 12-year-old do what my Olympians were doing when they were 12. In other words, my Olympians didn't do this when they were 12 to get there. And I love that quote because it's it's all about doing the right thing. And I, and I just, I want to get this out that this is not the way to go for your child, not just for success, but for a psychological part of it to have fun. But also from a, a physical standpoint, we have to get this out. And as physical therapists, it's our job to educate because it's epidemic. And they're getting the pressure from a lot of the, the coaches who make money off of these, these club teams. I'm not against club teams. What I'm against is year-round club teams, year-round playing. Multiple times they're playing in they're been two leagues at the same time. You, you can't do that. The, the human body wasn't designed for that. And it's not fair. And, and to see these kids... Like I said, at the mall, and they're like, they hate baseball. They hate their sport because they're so burnt out. It's so sad to me. And I think it's our responsibility as physical therapists to start this process and go ground roots and really give parents uh, empowerment to make the right choice. 
and I think it's really interesting. You know, we talk about, like, use baseball example there, you know, hotbeds of baseball, California, Arizona, Texas, Georgia, hotbeds of baseball. But Brett, where has statistics shown the vast majority of successful? And so I mean, professional level with long careers, successful MLB pitchers come from. Paul, that's a great point. I mean, Major League Baseball, they've looked at a study of the most elite pitchers, ones who played many, many years and had great success. And most of them grew up in the North, a large majority, which is, is a great stat. But, but furthermore, they've shown that pitchers that grow up in warmer climates and tended to suffer elbow injuries at a younger age than baseball players from a colder climate, you see these injuries occur much, much more frequently with players who played a lot in these warmer climates. And we're seeing now, because these studies now are, you know, five, 10 year studies are coming out and we have the data now to really stand behind these things. Yeah, I think that, you know, a, a recent article that was just published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine just in 2019, it was one of the first articles to really look at, um, and, and it states it in there that early sports special, the, the title is actually early sports specialization is associated with upper extremity injuries in throwers and fewer games played in Major League Baseball. The study goes on to talk about – there's a couple of really resounding tables in this article um, that the number of injuries in those single-sport athletes who do make it to the major leagues and they just played baseball is exponentially larger in every major body part than those athletes who made it to major league baseball who played in multiple sports. You know, this is one thing I really struggled with when I first started treating in Scottsdale – is at the local high school down the road, it was basically known that if you played any other sport and the, the, the high school coach found out about it, the chances of you making that varsity level sport went down drastically. But then you hear people like Urban Meyer who said, I wouldn't recruit a kid when I was at Ohio State who didn't play multi-sports. It, it like, you know, there's that weird juxtaposition between the different professional sports like Paul shared with and Brett, Brett shared. But yet the evidence is now showing consistently when you specialize at a young age, you have a much higher likelihood of getting injured. And it's, it's interesting, like, you know, how much of the pressure comes from the parent versus how much of the pressure comes from the coach versus how much of the pressure comes from the kid and the, the kid's desire to do more. And I don't know the answer to that. That is a great question, Dan, because I, I think especially you look at uh, the, the kids' perspective, there is pressure and a lack of understanding. You know, this is where a lot of the things that Brett was talking about become such an important thing. Again, looking at just simply myself, uh, we moved a couple of times and I moved to a new school district in eighth grade. And I already had to start playing catch up for the high school basketball team. Yes. So in middle school, I had to play catch up for the high school basketball team. You know, so I had some... Uh, traveling team that I played on as the coaches could actually see me play. And then I had to hop on immediately onto one of their summer league teams. And I had to prove myself in the summer league team that the coach wasn't coaching, but the coach's friend was coaching. So it was legal for the whole high school rules to actually occur. And then it was, then you have to impress yourself in the camp and press. And it was just immediately, you have to be playing this year round. And I didn't know anything different. And much as I thought I was an intelligent kid, I was a dumb teenager like all the rest of us. I just wanted to love basketball. I just wanted to play it. And I wanted to make everyone happy with me and my performance. That meant playing. I wouldn't have wanted to not play. I remember actually not knowing why my knees hurt all the time until I got to PT school and someone asked, oh, do you have Osgood Schlatter? I was like, what's that? 
I just heard all the time, but I couldn't have cared less. I was more interested in continuing to play. So convincing kids to look at the future, yes, convincing teenagers to look at the future, which I'm pretty sure we all know the challenge that ensues, um, but it's essential. And it goes into some of those things that Brett talked about. Or you just apparently move to North Dakota where they're forced to take time off and then you're successful in the North. But <laughs> honestly, you're, you're right, Dan. It really is all, all those different factors are important. I'm curious, Brett, though, what do you think is our responsibility, especially to educate coaches? So we talked about parents, talked about kids. That's a challenging one to can't tell a coach how to do their job. But do you have any thoughts on how we can broach that, especially for those that are just inviting burnout and injury to occur? You gave me the hard question. You gave me the <laughs> that's question why you're the of all questions here. because you know what is their motivation? And and a lot of the don't get me wrong, a lot of these coaches may want to get their kids successful and that, that kind of thing, but they're also getting paid to coach them. Um, and some of them get paid to co- you know coach year round. And if they don't play year round, they have less money. So there's those as well. But I, I, most coaches obviously have the best interest in mind. But this phenomenon, I think, has been a wool over a lot of eyes and. Um, the question is, um, how do we go about educating, you know, our, our coaches? And I think it's important for us as a physical therapy, as a, as a body across this country to get in front of these coaching, um, associations, the seminars and talk about these things because there's other ways of developing our athletes in the offseason for certain sports. If you do specialize, okay, great. That's fine. But then you have an off season in which maybe you're working on flexibility, you're working on other things, you're, you're mentally de-stressed and then take those things and you'd be amazed if you can increase the bottom part of the pyramid of someone's base of physical activity and not just skill. And that's the problem. They look at the skill and they try and develop skill without developing the base. And the base is coordination, movement ability, proprioception, strength, all these different things. If you could improve that base of, of being a better overall athlete, you actually push the pyramid up higher and the skill, when I do get the skill, it's much more effective. So I teaching these coaches and showing them some things that happen maybe in some of these soccer places in Europe where they have like Messi, he grew up in a soccer school, but they do off season, they do training, they do a lot of things. They don't just play soccer every single day and he became the best soccer player in the world. So, you know, yeah, if you need to specialize, then have have off seasons for these guys where you're in charge and you're developing skills, just basic athletic skills is my solution to a lot of those things. Yeah, I think that's a really important component about that athletic skill. Uh, I've worked with a few youth golf instructors who, you know, if they work with a kid or a group of kids in the summer five days a week, they're probably only hitting a golf ball a fraction of that time. Now, they're on the golf course, but they're kicking a soccer ball. They're throwing a Frisbee. They're doing something different. Why? Because it also opens their perspective on the course of, wait, huh, I didn't think I could be here on this part of the course when I hit a golf ball. But you know what? Funny things happen. You hit a tree. The wind blows. Somebody yells. You pull your head, whatever. And now you're in a different part of the course that maybe you were on when you kicked soccer ball because you can't kick soccer ball as far as you can hit a golf ball. Uh, and, and I think that there's a lot to be said there in our role as therapists to assist educating coaches, parents, and the kid that we can help their athletic development even while they're rehabbing another body part, right? And you know, I, I think this is something that we talked a little bit about in our sports training 
module with, you know, internally here within our therapist at Spooner, that there's a time and a place to go directly to an injury, you know, for the psyche of that athlete. And there's a time and a place to go away from the area of injury and work on their athletic ability, you know, while they're in a sling or they're out of the sling, but they still can't throw a ball. You can work the daylights out of them in their lower extremity to, like Brett said, build that fundamental base. And I think that's a huge component for us to really own and empower our you know, fellow professionals to own that as well as then start to get that in out into the community with, with coaches and parents and, and the athlete. I agree completely. And, uh, you know, something I really liked that you mentioned earlier, Brett, was the, the, the Olympic training. Like, I want you to train my 12 year old like the Olympic lifter and then didn't uh, say, I want you to train my 12 year old like that Olympic lifter trained when they were 12. But even let's take it a step further too. What does that Olympic lifter actually look like year round? You know, it, it's funny. I feel like we have this social media syndrome where we look at only the highlights and assume that's what we do. If we have an elite level athlete who's 25, I'm not saying near the end of their career, their body needs rest. I'm saying an elite level athlete at 25, what's their typical year look like? They take time off. And that's in conjunction with access to elite care, elite technology. An individual is probably planning their meals. They might have a chef. They have their entire life revolves around taking penultimate care of their body. They don't have to go to school. They don't have um, a potentially job on the I don't have other things to do. Their entire life revolves around that sport and they still take time off. And if playing year round was the way that you became the best, they'd all be playing year round, but they understand they still can't. So if you look at the full picture, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any logical sense to not give your body the break. If that's what the best of the best do and need, even when they have access to the best care, why aren't we doing the same in those that have other life demands on top of it? Not to say, by the way, that sports is super easy. They have tons of stress. But nonetheless, it just makes sense. You know, I was guilty of it because I, I was involved with physical therapy for so long now that, you know, this phenomenon hit me between the eyes because I was treating, you know, certain people for elbow or shoulder or knee problems. And they kept coming back every parts of the year. And I had multiple I had patients that keep returning. That's not a good thing. And I kind of... Figure started figuring out like these kids are now playing year round. This happened about 10, 12 years ago. This phenomenon started occurring. And as a physical therapist, is it not our job? We do exercises to prevent injury, but some of the prevention is, is we're talking about is not playing year round. That's part of our prevention. So we can do the best physical therapy we possibly can and get back on the field or the court. But if they're back with us in three or four months, did we really do everything we're supposed to do? It's not just about the exercise or the manual therapy. It's about educating them on what actually caused the problem. Also, you know, and, and Dan brought this up too, is coaching. You know, here I am working with a tennis player or working with a baseball or softball player. And then we take them to the field to have them throw. Oh my gosh, their mechanics are so bad. Even if a healthy person threw, it would hurt. It hurts to even watch them. So, you know, I think the key, too, with parents is making sure that we do have the proper coaching involved and how we're getting our, our players back, but also making sure the mechanics are proper. So when now, I, after being knocked over the head a million times, I look at the amount of stress they're playing year-round, but also their mechanics. Can they run properly? Do they need running, running help? Do they need swinging help? Do they need throwing help? Do they need serving help? There's so many things that go into this if you want your child to be successful, and it's our duty. As physical therapists, get over, well, the parent got mad at me. Who are you to tell me 
We're not saying they're bad parents. We're here to give them the real information so that the person does not come back to our facility hurt. Yeah, I, I think that's a great thing to think about. And I, I can speak from my own personal journey, and I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that have the, the same issue where you're like, gosh, that, that parent's the one that's paying me. <laughs> and if, if I make that statement, what's going to happen? Like, is that going to make them mad? But, but I think that that's where I have to get out of my own way and get out of my own head and, and, and do what you said is like, that's, that's my professional responsibility for the care of the person that is in front of me. Right. Mm -hmm. It's no different than what we do with that. Any of our patients, regardless of what their pathology is, I don't have any problem saying it to the person that's 45 right? Because guess what? That 45-year-old's probably also paying me to be there, <laughs> right? And so I, I just think that that's something that that's a really good perspective for me to reflect on. Um, and, and I think it also goes back to, to what you guys just said is we need to be involved in that complete athlete care. You know, we need to know what the coach, whether it's position coach or mechanics coach is working on with them so that we can help further drive that or say like, Hey, well, let, let's work together on this mechanical issue. Cause I get what you're trying the kid to do, but the kid can't do that. So let's figure out how we can help that kid do that. So it takes stress off of his or her body. Right. I, I think that there's, and, and like Paul alluded to with, you know, the, the penultimate athletes, they, they take care of their body and rest and recovery better than anybody else. I mean, there was a statistic that LeBron James spends almost a million dollars of his own money on recovery. A million dollars. Like, that's why he's been able to have his career be so long. But we have to think about that. And I'm not saying that we're going to ask our, our, our parents to spend a million dollars like LeBron James does, right? Like, that's pennies to him. But that that component, I think, is really important for our listeners to really like try and drive home with their athlete and with that parent. Um, I think we provided some really good insight for, for our therapists and our listeners to, to really think about. I also really want to empower our listeners that this is the time to email us with your questions. Like this is a, a subject now where we have a true world renowned expert in Brett Fisher. Please email us with questions we will be more than happy to answer them via email and or on a podcast moving forward. Like this is where the discussion in our professional responsibility has to go. Um, and we really want to hear from you on that. Um, gentlemen, do you have any last wrap up topics before I do a couple shout outs and then we'll close? You know, for me, it's, I'm, I'm just thank you for the opportunity to speak about this because it's such a passionate uh, subject for me. And I, I say those things because I made these mistakes for years until I finally said, I had enough of this. I had enough. And at the end of the day, we are consultants. We are consultants with our patients. At the end of the day, if they take your advice, great. If they don't, they don't. And I, I had to learn to accept that. And I, I don't want to be the guy that says, hey, I told you so. I don't want to be that guy. But at the end of the day, I, I said, I, I feel good about myself saying, hey, I told them the truth. I told them what I think is right as a medical professional. And that's our job is to, is to really say what's, what we think is the best way to prevent injury. It may offend some people. It may create some uh, discord or disagreements. That's okay. That's okay because I really truly believe it's, it's for the betterment of our patients. 
Yeah, I agree. I just want to second it. You know, if we're just going there, just trying to appease everyone, I think we all know that's never going to be successful. So I, I wholeheartedly concur with exactly what Brett said. All right. Awesome. Well, Brett, thanks for joining us for your first podcast with Therapists in Motion. Um, we do want to give a couple shout outs to some listeners and we apologize that we have uh, not put anything out here as of late. Uh, we've just been a little busy with this merger. Um, so first shout out is to Stephanie A, who listens on the Metro while she commutes while she is in New York City. And then the second shout out is to Schuster Physical Therapy out of Jefferson, North Carolina. Um, Due to uh, our, our former student intern, Josh Davis, they actually kind of stumbled across us. And I've had a, the opportunity to speak with Greg from Schuster PT. So we just wanted to give them a shout out for listening. Um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, especially on this topic or any other topic, do not hesitate to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. <laughs>